Hello everyone and welcome back to Let the Truth Talk, where we delve into the stories that matter, the issues that need our attention, and share the conversations that demand to be heard. Hi, I'm Tara and I'm your host for this season. I'm here to guide you through a season that's both challenging and crucial. A season where we confront the harsh reality of sexual violence as it unfolds in the headlines. In our local community and through global news networks, we have seen an increase in sexual and gender-based violence reports. By reporting on a wide range of events related to sexual violence, the media can increase awareness about the prevalence of this issue and signal to society that these behaviors are not acceptable, helping to shift sexual violence culture. Over the next four episodes, we'll be navigating through the complex terrain of sexual violence, exploring its prevalence, the impact, and the themes that have gripped our local headlines. Each episode will bring you in-depth discussions, expert insights, and heartfelt conversations with survivors, activists, and professionals who are dedicated to ending sexual violence in the Bow Valley and across Canada. It is important to note that the content of this season may be triggering for some listeners, as we do discuss sensitive topics such as sex, sexual abuse, sexual assault, and other forms of violence. We encourage you to take care of yourselves and reach out for support if needed. Our aim is not only to raise awareness, but also to foster a sense of community and understanding around an issue that affects us all. So please join us on this journey as we confront the truths, challenge the status quo, and work towards a world where everyone feels safe, respected, and heard. This is Let the Truth Talk, Season 4. Welcome back. Today we're tackling a crucial topic that affects countless lives, the changing landscape of sexual violence laws and how they have been presented in the news. So in recent years, there's been a shift in the way societies approach and address sexual violence. We're witnessing a collective re-evaluation of the laws that govern these offenses, and today we're going to explore why these changes are not only necessary, but long overdue. Sexual violence laws are evolving to better reflect the complexity of these crimes. And the legal system is becoming more sensitive to the diverse experience of survivors. It's essential essential to acknowledge that sexual violence affects peoples of all genders, backgrounds, and orientations. The evolving laws aim to provide a more inclusive and compassionate approach, recognizing the unique challenges faced by different communities. And these changes are also addressing the need for comprehensive support systems. Legal reforms are not isolated. They are a part of a broader effort to enhance survivor resources, counseling service, and education and prevention programs, such as the Harmony Project. By creating a more empathetic environment, we empower survivors of sexual violence. Before we dive into our interview with Lisa Bell, let's take a moment to reflect on the significance of the evolving sexual violence laws. It's not just about rewriting legal statutes, it's about reshaping a culture that no longer tolerates sexual violence in any form. Stay with us as we engage in a meaningful conversation about the ongoing transformation of sexual violence laws and the impact it has on our community. All right, to talk about this issue a little bit more, we are joined with Lisa Bell. Uh, Lisa, would you like to introduce yourself? 
Sure. My name is Lisa Bell. I'm the clinical nurse educator for the sexual assault team in Calgary. And I've been with the team for about just over 12 years now. So. Wow. In that role for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And what kind of services are provided there? With the sexual assault team. So we have three different options for folks to come in. So if they wanted to come in and just have a medical exam, make sure they're healthy and safe and all those sorts of things, we'd take care of all of those needs for them. We also do a lot of resourcing for folks. So if they're needing resourcing for shelters, safety, all of that kind of stuff, we're going to take care of all of that for them. And then we can also offer two other options for a exam, which would include either reporting to police and having a forensic exam collected with a kit, what they call a sexual assault examination kit collected. And we would support the individual with reporting to police and what that process looks like, and then uh, provide all of that evidence to the police. And then for other folks that just need more time, and they just aren't sure if they want to move forward with police and just need some more information about what all of the what all of their options are, we can do what we call a third option where we do a physical exam, again, making sure their health is kind of the priority, and then we can collect forensic evidence off their body as well. And we keep all of that evidence and we store that for up to a year. So they've got time to decide if they want to go down the path of reporting to police and get some more information again about what that looks like, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, we really advocate uh, for the third option because it is a really trauma-informed practice. Just being able to have the the time and the space, knowing that um, uh, your your kit, your exam um, will be dealt with the same way if you were to proceed immediately. However, yeah. just giving, giving the survivors a bit more time to access other resources. Well, absolutely. And we know when folks come in in the middle of crisis and trauma, it can be incredibly difficult to be making these decisions about what it is that they want to do. And so this really, like you were just saying, really hones in on that trauma-informed approach where we give them time to decide what it is that they really want to do and gives them time to ask more questions um, around any of those sorts of things. So um, so part of the the role with the team is dealing with the police. Um, something that we were curious about is if you feel that there are still misunderstandings between police around what is consensual versus what is uh, considered sexual assault. Yeah, and that's a that's kind of a difficult question to answer because we definitely have police that we're involved with that are very trauma informed and very supportive, and others that. At times, there does seem to be a bit of a, a disconnect in terms of what, you know, what is considered consensual versus sexual assault. So just because somebody went over to an individual's house, let's say, and for example, they were intoxicated, that doesn't mean that that patient actually consented to what happened, right? Because we know you can't consent when you're highly impaired, intoxicated, all of those sorts of things. And you can't provide that informed consent. And there's no agreement between the two individuals. And so that's where sometimes there can be a bit of a disconnect I found with people that have consensually chosen to go, for example, again, to somebody's house, but then the act of the sexual activity was not consensual. um, And that's where sometimes there needs to be a little bit more education around some of that, I believe, for sure. Um, why do you think that stories in the media that focus on sexual violence in with regards to the law is so important for the public to hear? Well, I think it's important so that folks really know what's happening with our within our judicial system, right? Because people certainly have assumptions about what they expect is going to happen 
um, in the court system. And it might simply not be the case based on what our current laws are. You know, we've made leaps and bounds in terms of a lot of aspects of that kind of stuff. But some of our things, there still needs to be improvement on. And the judicial system is a really hard place to navigate. And again, people kind of have assumptions about when things get to court or if they get to court, what that looks like. And I think it's really important for folks to understand what our laws actually state so that they're just very informed of how the process might actually, you know, play out in court and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think even sometimes when I was doing like the upstander presentations or whatever, speaking to old laws um, where it was legal to assault your wife because she was considered your property and, and folks, even within those presentations, that was something that had been changed within their lifetime or within the relationship that they were in now. So it can definitely impact how someone is behaving or how someone thinks that they can behave with another person. Oh, for sure. And even folks that we've that we've um, supported that are coming from other countries where maybe their laws are going to be different than ours. They're all they're quite surprised what some of our laws state compared to maybe some of the countries that they've come from. And so, again, our job is just to make sure that people are really informed about what our laws are, where they've come from, where they're going and how we can how we can still continue to improve. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like given that Bow Valley is um, has so many immigrants um, yeah. So coming in with a with a wealth of what was acceptable, what was lawful, what was unlawful in their home country, um, recognizing that this is what we want to be practicing and this is how you uphold the law in right. Canada in the Bow Valley. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's been one thing that's recently changed. So that's stealthing. Mm-hmm. Um, and is Canada one of the first countries to criminalize this or are we... No, so I know for sure Germany and the UK um, had considered in 2020, um, they had create they had stated that this was um, considered a form of sexual violence and could and was criminalized. So that was back in 2020. So we here in 2022, finally, the Supreme Court ruled that um, stealthing could be considered a uh, sexual assault conviction. So we're yeah. a little bit behind. Yeah. And just for for folks who maybe who don't know what stealthing is, are you able to to explain it? Yeah, so stealthing is when an individual either pretends to use a condom or secret, secretly removes the condom before sex or during sex without the partner's consent. So this is really important when someone has, you know, there is consent for sexual activity with a condom, and then that individual decides that they're just going to pretend to use it or they secretly remove it at some point, that automatically makes that encounter non-consensual because that individual did not consent to sex without a condom. And of course, with stealthing, there's concerns around, you know, pregnancy. If this, if this individual thinks that they're protected against pregnancy because a condom is being used, um, STDs, HIV, all of those sorts of things that we're always concerned about. That's why consent is so important that there's that verbal agreement between folks about what, what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. And so with stealthing, you know, again, if they're going to secretly remove a condom or pretend that they are using a condom, that's that's not consent for that other person. Yeah, exactly. That ties back to our fries analogy. When we define consent, the specific, the S, I yeah. consent to having sex with a condom. Yeah. Means that I do not consent to sex without a condom. So that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, and another thing that was recently introduced in Canada was Claire's Law. Now, this one, not necessarily just uh, around sexual violence, it is more so around intimate partner violence, domestic violence, but we know that um, Claire's Law can be really impactful and can save lives with how it's been integrated into the system. Are you able to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so here in Alberta, um, it's Bill 17, which is the Disclosure to Protect Against Domestic Violence Act, which is known as Claire's Law. So this really came from the UK, and the UK had implemented Claire's Law back in 2014, with a very unfortunate situation where a woman uh, was murdered by her ex-partner. And after all of um, this, the family came to find out that her ex-partner had a very, very violent past and had actually spent time in jail for a violent act against um, his current partner, I believe held at knife point, something like that. Anyway, spent a significant amount of time in jail for it. And basically what it was saying is people should be able to know about these violent crimes, right? So how, how can we support victims? How can we support um, anyone that is concerned that they might be in a situation where domestic violence is going to be, you know, a problem. And so really what we've adopted here is just piggybacking again on, on Claire's law. So it gives individuals the right to know about um, violent criminal pasts of their partner. So there are criteria obviously that, um, you have to look at so the individual would have to speak to police now all they have to do is to show that they have a reasonable concern that they are at risk right and so if police can do that what happens is they can go in they would obviously need to, the name of the individual things like that but when they give the disclosure it usually takes about four weeks is my understanding anywhere from three to four weeks maybe a little bit longer depending uh but they the information is never written down so this individual that is collect that is wanting to get information about their partner, their ex-partner, whatever it is, they would need to be willing to speak with police in person. So it's just a verbal, this, these are the things that we've seen that are of concern in terms of their criminal charges. So they don't disclose all of the charges of this individual, but they do disclose the charges that are of concern in terms of safety for that, for that person because where the law came from some some folks were going into partnerships kind of blind and seeing yep. red flags or behaviors and not knowing that you know what this person has done this time and time again with other partners exactly um, and exactly. is a huge asset for keeping folks safe in their relationships yeah and also from potentially people even becoming very involved with these people like breaking off relationships much sooner than they would have potentially otherwise right yeah. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but someone um, could access that service. So could find out about their partner, potential partner through another agency, correct? Through, a third, through third party. Yeah. Now, my understanding is that they would still have to be willing. So a third party can put in a request. And again, they have to show that there's reasonable concern for the safety of this individual uh the individual would need to be able to speak with police at some point or at least confirm that they're giving consent for that third party to access that information mm -hmm. yeah. so what that might look like in the bow valley is accessing um counseling or our our services through the ywca um and our counselors can put in the request but as you mentioned there might need to be the contact to give the consent in order to gather the information yeah yeah exactly 
Okay. Um, well, I think Claire's Law is something that is definitely moving us in the right direction. Another law that was introduced not too long ago was called self-induced extreme intoxication. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this one, I'm not super clear on it still, even though I've done a lot of research on it. What yeah. does this law mean? Um, and what does it what could it mean for survivors of sexual violence? Yeah, so the criminal code, they changed uh, section 33.1, I believe, of the criminal code back in 2022, really to state that people that voluntarily take substances or whatever it is to to get to the point of self-induced extreme intoxication, um, that they are still going to be held responsible for crimes that they commit. And previous to that, it wasn't that wasn't the case like that was a defense that could potentially be used and so this is really trying to close that gap to say people that have been assaulted sexually assaulted you know any of those sorts of things because someone had extreme intoxication that that can't be used as a defense against them right and again you're right it still is a little bit confusing i've read a ton about it as well um and it does seem like there's still some gray areas there uh with with this and how this is all going to play out but that that is my understanding for sure that the changes are to support essentially saying just because you you voluntarily chose to become this intoxicated does not mean that you are not potentially criminally responsible for all the acts that you committed while you were in that state. Yeah. Um, and from my understanding, the intoxication is not just alcohol. It's um, if someone were to consume drugs like um, yes. like psychedelics or Correct. like that can change behavior, et cetera. If you've voluntarily taken it, you are still responsible. You're, you're that. responsible. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And it's a bit of a a mouthful, too, because when we were presenting it, self-induced extreme intoxication kind of like blaze over people. Um, Yeah. But yeah, we wanted just to to bring it up and yeah, show that laws are constantly changing because um, the world is changing. And and I think it's important for survivors to know that these laws, for the most part, are there to help support them. Well, and even if you look up um, any research on, you know, some of these amendments to the criminal code and stuff, it, it's often stated in there how the goal is to, again, close that gap to help support survivors of crime and all of that sort of stuff. So, I mean, we're, we're starting to get there, get to the right place with all of this kind of stuff. So, Yeah, and that leads me just into our last uh, topic. So oftentimes, and this might even be portrayed more so in the media, but um, we hear of survivors who do choose to report to police and then end up in a situation where their perpetrator is not convicted or their case doesn't go to trial. So it might seem to them that the the law has let them down or mm-hmm. they're disappointed or why would why should I have even come forward with my story if this was the end result? Why do you think yeah. that that happens? Yeah, and that that. That's a really challenging thing because, I mean, again, when we're talking about our justice system and our legal system, we've been talking this whole time about, you know, laws that were finally getting updated to where we think they should be to be supporting, you know, survivors and all of that kind of stuff. But when we're talking about going through the court system, and again, I can only speak to this generally, I'm obviously not a crown prosecutor or anything like that. 
But when people are charged with sexual crimes, so there's a point where, you know, an individual gives a disclosure to us. And of course, we support them. We believe them. It then moves on to the police and they have to have, you know, a reasonable burden of uh, proof to continue on with their investigation. And then when it gets to the point of going to court and to trial, it's really up to the crown and that whole system there within our judiciary that makes the decision about whether they can take this forward and get some sort of likely conviction out of it. And that's where it can be really, really challenging because as we know, often in these cases, it's um, there's, there's two people involved. There often aren't witnesses. And so there needs to be not always, but often, um, you know, some, some evidence to support the crown to be able to take it to trial. And again, that can be a very, very difficult place for people to be because as you said, they've come forward with their story and there's an expectation that our justice system is going to support them and, you know, convict this individual that has committed this crime against them. And unfortunately, it it doesn't always it doesn't always go that way. They're they're very difficult crimes to prosecute. I like from my perspective, I would say if someone found themselves in that situation, there's um, other ways to process rather than having that conviction. So whether that is um, seeking counseling, um, finding your supportive services, whatever that may look like, that might help you um, gain the tools to to be able to move forward after the incident. Absolutely. And I think that's so incredibly key the support for counseling and working through and having to you know navigate all of those sorts of things is going to be really really important for folks because unfortunately in Canada we know the conviction rates for sexual assaults is is not super high and so how can we support survivors that have come forward in other ways if the court process if our justice system isn't going to be kind of the end all be all and this is what I've even heard from detectives certainly that I work with is that you when when they're talking um, with survivors is the justice system might actually not be where you get your closure, right? It's going to be with the counseling and the support and all the other things. And like you mentioned, the, the tools that they can develop to, to find that closure for themselves. Definitely challenging uh, navigating the legal system. Yeah. Um, but I know in, in Bow Valley, we do have victim services working with the RCMP. And, and of course, there's so many different supportive agencies that someone could have access to if that's the, the path that they choose to take. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely challenging. It is for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's everything that we wanted to talk about today. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Your expertise is always, always welcome. And um, we definitely appreciate everything that you do, uh, knowing that you do support us here in the Bow Valley as well. Oh, it's no problem at all. Happy to do it. Thank you. Okay. Well, you take care. Yeah, you too. Okay, have a good one. The Harmony Project's diverse stakeholders, through expertise and experience, are working together to end sexualized violence in the Bow Valley. This whole production was made possible by the support from the Harmony Project Committee, the team at YWCA Banff, and music from Scott Holmes. We are privileged to live and work in Banff National Park. We would like to honour and acknowledge the traditional lands of Treaty 7 upon which YWCA Banff is located. 
We recognize that we have a responsibility to understand our history and the spirit and intent of Treaty 7 so that we can honor the past, be aware of the present, and build a just and caring future. Please let us know what you think of this episode in the comments and what you'd like to be featured in future seasons. You can show your support by liking and subscribing to be notified of future episodes. And if you like what we're doing, please share our podcast. You can find us at harmonyproject.ca or follow us on social media at YWCA Banff on both Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.